Can we just hit pause and point <laughs> out that your niece's first word was Google? Is that true? Yeah. Because they have yeah. a Google Home. So it's Google, what's the weather? Google this, Google that. And <laughs> mom and dad... Uh, Honestly, it's a very easy first word because it's Google. She says Google. Yeah. Sure. yeah. But it's a little creepy. I mean, we're 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 talking about no one was happy. One yeah, so I, I will say, as a traffic expert, if you write an article about that, it will do well. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paul. Here's the big question, the big question in life, the number one question, the ultimate question of the internet. What is it? Take a guess. Who's visiting? That's a good one. But the other one is, starts with, how do I get them? Oof. That's the big question. How do I get them to look at my thing? And then once I get them, who the hell are they? And then once I figure that out, what, what am they, I going to do to them? What are, yeah, what do they need? <laughs> so to help us understand this fundamental aspect of the internet, we have the good fortune to host here at Postlight, Josh Schwartz, who is head of product at Chartbeat. Welcome, Josh. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Can you tell me what Chartbeat is? Start there. So Chartbeat is an analytics company that uh, is used by the editorial side of the organization at a media company. So if you are a writer, an editor, an SEO person, a social media person, and you want to understand who's reading your stories, how they're getting to them, how they're engaging with them, you use Chartbeat on a daily basis to try to understand what's happening, both in real time and also kind of over time. And for a long time, it's it's been the industry standard, right? Like I'm, the New York Times famously uses it and sort of all the all the sort of big players. And because you can just look at it in the moment. It used to be it was every week or you know every day you'd run your analytics. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that we've been really proud of is it's, it's a product where kind of data comes to you. You log in and just immediately there's stuff that's engaging for you. Right. So you can take someone who has a day job that has absolutely nothing to do with data and get them data that's very relevant to them without really anything happening on their end. So that's been kind of the magic of it. What does it tell them? So the first order thing that it tells people is kind of this this in the moment, what's happening on my site right now? So especially if you're a person who uses Chartbeat all the time, you get an intuition for what should my site look like right now in a typical day? And then is something weird happening, right? Am I getting an anomalous spike from a refer? Does one of my top stories have a typically high or low engagement? Is traffic way off and maybe there's there's something wrong with my site or I something wrong with uh, with you know with my social media posts. So it gives you that sense of kind of what's happening. I mean, that stuff's addictive, right? But what do people want to do with this stuff? Okay, so you, you, you know, obviously having those insights are great. It's like real-time Nielsen ratings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, what next? So, you know, I think the, the key thing that, that we think about is the process of engaging a reader, right? If you think about, you know, a typical reader on the web, um, they're probably not navigating directly to your website. They're probably using some other platform. And out of the million links on that platform they could have clicked on, they somehow clicked on yours and they landed on your site. And now you have this just brief moment where you can kind of turn that user from somebody using Facebook or 
searching something on Google or using Apple News or whatever the case is, to suddenly somebody who's engaged with your site and your brand. Um, and so that momentary like hook of the user, I, you know, we think of as kind of one of the key things that we measure. So um, when you're looking at Chartbeat, um, what you're seeing is not just you know, how many people came in, but how those people are engaging. So are they actually reading the story? How far down the page are they reading? If they're on a homepage, what links are they clicking on off of that page and so on? And we try to surface opportunities to use that data to kind of improve that kind of user engagement. So if everybody who reads a story is dropping off two paragraphs in, there's probably a problem on the page. Getting a report about it the next day is isn't good enough. That story is is old at that point. You need that data right at the moment where you can actually make the change at a time that matters. So does that is that what happens? I mean, absolutely. This, so people like uh, an editor is going in and just saying, "Gosh, this this third paragraph is, well, or is could just be, making people sleepy." Could be a bad ad too. Yeah, absolutely. Or one part of the tool is a headline testing tool, so people can do multivariate tests of their headlines. Right. So we have organizations where basically every story that makes it to their homepage gets A/B tested. And you know the, the the delta between a good headline and a bad headline is just remarkable. You know you can see a 30, 40 percent lift between a, a good and bad headline, and that's just a huge difference in the number of people who actually read a story. What else works? So good headline versus bad headline. What else gets you the people to click on things? When we think about writing a story, the first piece of advice I give people is you have to ask this question of, you know, which audience is this story for, right? A story, even about the same, you know, piece of news, if it's designed to do well on social media, it needs some sort of emotional saliency, right? The things that do well on social media are things that people want to share and want to react to because those are the, you know, the metrics, of course, that social media platforms use to, to amplify things. But if something's going to do well in search, it needs to be, uh, you know, a factual response to the type of thing that somebody searches for. So that story is going to be completely different. You can have... The same story taking five different shapes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we definitely see people write two or three stories, one tuned to their homepage audience, one tuned to their social audience, one tuned to their homepage audience. Are, are writers depressed? <laughs> y- yes. Like, I'm a painter, right? And I, I was like, this is my work of art. It's a, it's a babbling brook. And then you give it to the to the gallery, nah, you and know the what? gallery says, mm, a little more red. <laughs> I'm going to just take out People some- used to make Hallmark cards, too. I mean, I'm sure they still do. I just haven't received the Hallmark card in a long Think about a journalist who spent two weeks on a thing. Listen, everything is bad. You want to work that out right here? <laughs> you want to fix that here on the? I'm not pointing blame by any means. This, I'm is, just, this is an observation. It's about analytics. Paul, we'd have to get into your. <laughs> um, well, this is this is tricky, right? So, analytics do drive content in 2019. Yeah, that's just that is the reality that we're in. That <laughs> you know, I I think that analytics for me are a tool, right? Whether it's for journalism or analytics for you know measuring product effectiveness, analytics shouldn't be telling you what to write, um, but analytics should be telling you for something that you've written how to make it perform best, right? That two thousand word piece may make it out to you know to to a million people, a couple million people, but if its job is to be read by you know by ten thousand people, but the right ten thousand, like make the story work well, right? Yeah. You write the two thousand word piece and people only read twenty five words of it, then then you have a problem, and that's what the data can can help you kind of. Also, out. writers want to be read. Mm-hmm. Let's call it yeah. for what it is. Yeah. If if you told the writer, I'm going to change two things, so then another two hundred percent read it, they're like, yeah, of course I want two hundred percent more to read it. What about non-textual forms of communication, video, podcast? What do you do about that? So we measure video in pretty deep detail in the same way that we measure text content. Okay, so 
what do I do if I wanted to start something new, like in the next three months? What 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 like what media platform would Chartbeat say I should build? Uh, what do you mean by media platform? Well, I mean, should I just do like first of all, should I just be on Twitter and Facebook and say to hell with it? And so you definitely shouldn't do that, right? Okay. I mean, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, I, I think you need, you know, this this advice in some ways feels trite, but you, you need a, a coherent brand. Mm-hmm. You need really good stuff that people actually want to read and a notion of who that audience is. And you need to nail it. You know, you need to write a lot of stuff. You need to look at what people are engaging with and you need a unique voice. Quality is hard, right? It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Who wants to do quality? <laughs> It's like medium. It's, yeah, medium does. I mean, it's like you got to go buy. It's like that point in your life where you're like, I should probably get a sofa that doesn't fall apart in two years. Or buy one every two years. Yeah. There's <laughs> Which is media today. Most of the media industry is like, let's just go get that sofa down in Brighton Beach and not even go to Ikea. It will come back in a year. Yeah. Um, okay. So tell me your, what's your full title? Chief of Product Engineering and Data Science. Like, you walked in and you found it a certain way. And now today you have a leadership role very clearly and it's, it's different. What's changed in those six years? I came in into a data science job. My, my, you know, my, that, that's where my background is. And you know, I thought that my role was kind of going to be doing science on data. And so they would literally be like, Josh, here's some data. Here's some data. Could Do you some science, science it up? Science, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, totally. And, and there were a few you know, bits of, of science to be done. But by and large, um, you know, first of all, there actually wasn't the data that I thought there would be. Right. There weren't the systems in place to mm-hmm. actually do analysis on. And then also, you know, I kind of realized that actually th- there was other stuff to do and that I really loved the, the product stuff. That kind of marriage of like, how do you take what our data is capable of and turn it into something that can solve a problem for our customers is pretty cool. So one of my favorite analyses that we ever did was, you know, doing a kind of meta analysis of all of the headlines we'd ever seen. So, you know, we've seen hundreds of thousands of different headline tests at this point. And they provide this really interesting data set because you've got a given story and you have multiple different headlines for it. So a thing that you can do is you can take a rule that people use about how to write headlines. So people hypothesize, let's say, uh, you know, getting numbers in headlines really work. And what you can do is look at all of the times when somebody ran a test and one version of the headline had a number in it and one version didn't have a number in it. And you can say, okay, how often does the number version win? And and once you've done that analysis, then you can think about building that back into the product. So now you have a hypothesis about how headlines work. And you want to get something into the hands of media people who are of a range of skills as users. Yeah. What do you do? When we inject statistics or models of any sort, we do it in a way where you don't even necessarily know that there's a model behind it. So if a story is doing well on the homepage, we'll color it red or green. Uh, If something is trending up, we'll put an up chevron next to it or a down chevron next to it if it's trending down. We'll change the opacity of things. If if we think that a number is really important, it'll it'll just have higher contrast. But these sorts of things where I don't think a user, if you ask them to say, you know, how do I know that this number is important, they would ever really call out that we actually were changing the opacity of numbers. But it just kind of brings to the fore in people's minds when, when somebody's using the product, you know, the data that we think is important. This is design. I yeah. mean, you've got this world of information, this world of data, and you've got to distill it down so that someone that's going to glance at this thing over five or six minutes can actually make sense of it and you can guide them along. I mean, it sounds like your role is beyond just getting good data and gathering it, but also presenting it. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I think design is incredibly important, you know, in, in all products, but especially if you're making a product that people are going to use all the time, but it's not their main uh, piece of work, right? People are willing to tolerate a clunky UI if using that UI is their core job. Mm-hmm. But if somebody's trying to, you know, get a quick glance at their data and go back to their day job, it needs to be really easy to use or they're just gonna, not going to take that glance. Yeah, I mean, Google Analytics, it takes me a minute. I stare at it for about five or six minutes. But that's really because it's not, it. it's not our everyday job. Yeah, but I mean, what, I think what Josh is saying is it's not, it, for very often, it's just people logging in saying, how's this going? It's right. not their yeah, job. Right, right. Um, yeah. And that's... That's hard, right? And so that's a design challenge. It's very, it's kind of fun and addictive, especially if it's alive. It's always fun to stare at that no, stuff. No, chart beats yeah. moving. Whenever I drop into Google, yeah. when I yeah. go into Google Analytics, though, I'm just like, what have they done this time? <laughs> yeah. like, there's there's yeah. always new rectangles and things flying around. There's a lot just... to process. Yeah. 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 But if you're a power user of it, it's great, right? Of course. But you just can't be a passive user. Same is true of like the ad buying tools for Google. You go in oh. casually, like, I think I should buy an ad, and that's it for the week. But if people use those every day for 10 hours a day, they don't have any any questions about what's going on. Right. Does Chartbeat suggest what to do? We have always tried to stay away from that line. I think people really have a good sense of news judgment and also are really hesitant to use a system that directly tells them what to do. Sure. You need to take people right up to the point where you highlight things that are important. But if you go too far, you lose your users. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that um, you know is a really really interesting kind of you know line to walk. You know, one of the hardest lessons to learn too is that if you have a hit, you don't get to go back and do that again and have another hit. <laughs> like it's just you have to create an environment in which things can pop, but you can't just say go. And and this happened all through the two thousands. People would go, "Can you go viral? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need you to go viral." And it was just like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Also, I mean, even certain patterns that are clearly attractive or, or have their moment flame out like the, those 30 second cooking where they compress two hours of cooking into 30 seconds those were everywhere at one point like you'd watch you know people chocolate get a, cake get made in 30 seconds and now i think people are just done with it and well so, i'm sure or there's someone out there who's figured out a way to make a chocolate cake in five seconds you know it's but people get all num- those are sped up those aren't actual people <laughs> cooking for 30 they seconds. get numb to form right like yeah like exactly. somebody's like oh and there are people the great flaw of the media industry, in my opinion, is it finds a form that works at all. And then it just spreads like wildfire. And everyone's like, well, we're pivoting a video. Yeah. Here we go. I think that's just the, the, the industry and the environment will dictate that. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Eight best ways to blah, blah, blah. I mean, was I feel like that's just exhausted. Do lists point. still work? Yeah. I mean, you know, but they're used a lot less than they, they were. Right. It's not everything is in list form anymore. Yeah. Cards never caught on. Remember cards? No, yeah, cards. Cards really. Remember that when Vox was going to be like a stack of cards? It was going to be like HyperCard for cards. Oh yes, 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 yes. The internet was heading towards you know a day when nobody knew how to read. You know, bless bless everybody for trying though. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, this is it's an environment that has enormous pressure around it. I mean, that's just they have to play play around. Does anything like that ever catch fire? Like the new? It just seems like we've got articles and lists and quizzes and we're kind of going to be done for a while yeah i mean i will say you know the the article i think is still going strong it's good right? it's good you form know? you yeah, can do a, good, a lot with it yeah i mean and you know most people who are going to a media site are going there to read right? but galleries though i mean they're still there but they're they're mostly there for the ad revenue 
Rich, let's break in here for a minute from all the conversation about product management and talk about Postlight. And how it's mastered product management. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a process. Charpit is a good example of the kind of thing we would integrate with. Like you'd come to us and you'd say, I'm standing up a new media property and it's it's going to be on this platform and I need yep. some custom work and there's going to be 10 kinds of users yep. and I need some good analytics and I, I don't want you to build the analytics. Obviously, we're going to go with Chartbeat and you're going to integrate with their API and it's going to be at the CMS level. That's the yep. kind of thing people say to us. Yeah, and or we'll say to them because we'll That's say right. you don't need to reinvent the wheel here. There are good tools out there for analytics, for CRM, for whatever, unless it's so specialized and specific, which we love to do. Well, also. then we'll take the time and we'll figure that out too. Yeah. So uh, if you need us, and we do a lot of work for media, a lot of work for finance, a lot of work for non-governmental organizations and big nonprofits and all sorts of other companies in between, uh, you know how to reach us. It's hello at postlight.com. All right, let's, let's, let's stop talking about ourselves. Okay. <laughs> How much do you know about and how much would you like to know about that user when they come in? Obviously, this wades into territory that's been on top of a lot of people's minds over the last year, two years is what do you know about me and what are you doing because you know this about me? So in the early days of Chartbeat, the company made a decision that at the time I think didn't feel that significant, but actually really was, was pretty prescient to try to build analytics without collecting any personal data of any sort of meaningful form. And that decision has gone through to the present day. So, you know, for example, we don't store an IP address. We don't set what's called a third-party cookie. So we don't set a cookie that you can use to track users between websites. You made your 2018 so much easier oh, than no. everybody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's sort of a profound question in some ways. Like, how do you make analytics that are really actionable and still have data about users, but without pulling that data to the server side. So we actually do some stuff on the client side. So a user's browser can, if you want to know what, let's say, whether or not a user is new or returning to a site, one way you could do that is you could send data about you know, a user ID back to the server, and the server could decide whether it's seen the user before. But another way you could do it is a user's browser could just keep track of whether or not they've been to the site before, mm -hmm. um, and then tell us, I'm new or I'm not new. Right. And so so we push a lot of that stuff to the client, and it means that we, we don't have to collect it, which we feel good about. Did you, as product lead, have to spend a lot of time dealing with the GDPR? It was largely my responsibility to deal with. I'm our data protection officer. Okay. You know, for us, it was a lot of legal stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was some system stuff, but um, but it was a lot less than, than it would have been if we had a ton of personal data. And we don't sell data or, or anything like that. So, you know, we didn't have to do the sort of editing that we, we would have if we were in ad retargeting or something like that. Do you have lawyers in-house or do you go out? Both. Okay. Yeah, so we have in-house counsel, but for things like GDPR, you have to work with, with specialists. Are there specialists where there, you can... Oh, yeah. What do you think about it? Do you think it will achieve its goals? Actually, can uh, anyone articulate GDPR's goals? I'm not quite sure I can. I think it's being more transparent with the user okay. about what's happening right. to them. I think that GDPR was a really good thing. You know, I mean, I think that there certainly are flaws in the law and implementations have been so across the board that uh, I think it's kind of created a mess for, for users and certainly it's been expensive for companies. But mm -hmm. the idea that a user should control their own data 
it was a great idea, right? You know, that we're no longer in a world where a site can collect any conceivable thing about you, that somebody can engineer a way to collect the data, great. Um, that we're no longer in that world, but you actually have to um, get somebody's consent and show them what you're collecting. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, seems like it's totally a good thing. Okay, so let's let's summarize for, for people listening. You visit a site, there's this footer banner that kicks in if you hadn't seen it before. And it has a statement in it about what the site is doing. And then you can close it away or you can do what? So on, on a typical site, what happens is you can go in and you can set your preferences. So you can, a lot of sites will, will say, we use this long list of technologies. You can opt in or opt out of each one. And there are checkboxes for every single piece of technology. And now they will or won't fire um, you know, those v- vendors mm-hmm. depending on what people click. I think the failing here isn't, I think the spirit of it is, is very good. I think I understand, I mean, I, I understand the motivations around it. I would venture to say that not 95 plus percent of people close that box and barely read the words on in it. The, the funny thing is that it doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter because companies had to do the work to support the box regardless of how many people use it, right? So, you know, if somebody goes to one of our customers and says, I want all the data that you have collected about me, that customer can forward us a request that says, you know, I want this data and and we have to comply. So that changes our relationship with data. When Um, you say R, you don't mean Chartbeat. You mean anyone that is running a site that has had to comply with GDPR. Absolutely. Um, You no longer, if, you you know, the second somebody comes to your website, have rights to all of their data. You really have to think about what the data is, how it's accessible, how you document it, and so on. And that's a good thing, even if only 1% of users is actually making use of those rights. I think what people may not know, too, is it's like a fungal rot, like a deal that the sales guy made three and a half years ago that was like seemed sensible at the time, but now is feeding payday loan ads throughout your site. Like it forces you to pick at that stuff a little bit. Yeah. I mean, look, this was a compromise, right? I mean, the real brute force way to attack this is you can't do is that. Opt it in. is now illegal uh, or opt in, like just something a little more aggressive. The reality is, it's it's just more stuff. Like yeah. you just everyone on the other side of GDPR will be like, oh yeah, we have to engineer for GDPR compliance, and it'll it's like dealing with user authentication. Yeah. It's a horrible, boring task yeah. that you must execute well on, and then yeah. figure out how it fits into the overall product strategy. Also, we're web we're browser users. I mean, we're we're technical technically minded people. On a phone, it's really weird. It is really it's, weird. It's, it's kind of like, what <laughs> happened to my browser? What happened to my phone? I think there's something wrong, and, and it's just odd. And it, uh, Anyway. Talk, you know, I'm curious to know, talk a little bit. You've got a, you've got a product that's been around for a while. Yeah. Um, maybe about 10 years old now? Yeah, we? we're 10 years in April. You came along and sort of now you're running product on something that's been around for a bit. It's not Greenfield. You're not starting from scratch. Talk a little bit about how you plant. So I'm a big fan of thinking about the kind of classic 70, 20, 10, you know, breakdown of 70% of your effort should go towards satisfying the, the needs of your core users. 20% should be looking at adjacencies and 10% should be totally greenfield. How long is a typical, like, do you think in one month, six month, one year, like, what are your, what's your time? 
the way that I at least like to talk about it is our one-year plan, we try to paint in watercolors, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of, this is where we think the world is. We want to adapt well, to this It's a little trend. blurry at the edges, but yeah. very pretty. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then we have a six-month plan that actually looks like a plan. You know, okay. a six-month plan that says, we're doing this. And then we do, you know, uh, uh, you know, sprint plans that are like, you know, drawn in pencil, right? That, that right. have, you know, this is literally what, what each person is working on. I mean, dashboards have been around for a very long time. What does a dashboard look like in five years? Ooh, inter- interesting question. Ooh. For me, it's very likely that the dashboard of the future still lives on a desktop. Unless work moves off a desktop, um, it, it's going to be there. A lot of what we think about these days is integrating data into people's workflows. So one of our most popular tools is basically a browser extension. And it's something where... You install it, and then when you visit your own website, mm-hmm. you know, Chartbeat Data is just overlaid there, right? Yeah, that's so, really cool, actually. Yeah, and so, you know, or, or Slack integrations, things like mm-hmm. that. So, so you don't even have to think about navigating to our product. The data is just there when you're doing sure. the task that you're trying to do. Right, think, so you're challenging the whole notion of dashboard. Right. You're, you're just letting the data and those, that intelligence seep into other parts What's of What's better than not having to click? <laughs> The best thing I don't in want the to world. touch my keyboard. I want no, to go through I mean, a work day without touching. When it's if it's in the corner of your eye and you can safely ignore it if you want to, yeah. or you can look at it if you yeah. want to, that is the best user experience possible. Absolutely, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, there was that trend for like a week with those heat maps. Everybody's had like they were over, and they look so pretty, but their their utility was kind of limited. Yeah. Um, but that makes a lot of sense. So the dashboard is just everywhere uh, beyond some destination. Yeah. But I do think, you know, on the other hand, I think the dashboard itself is also sticking around, right? If you actually need a piece of information, you're going to go to a product and, and get sure. it, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's different. If you just want to passively consume information as you're going about your day, that's a great opportunity to integrate. Yeah. But, but sometimes you just want to know an answer to a specific question. And the easiest way to get it is to log into a product and, and ask the product what the answer is. I want to close it out with a question about product management. We talk a lot about product management here. What's the one bit of advice you'd give to product management leaders? Having the right goals is so important. You know, that feels like a doc thing to say in some ways, but the amount of time I've seen wasted from people doing really great work on goals that were bad is remarkable. Mm. And then the value that we've gotten from, you know, even small bits of time where people were working on just the right problem and, and in a couple of weeks we're able to have huge impact. You know, I, I think that in some ways is the, is the core function of product management is to figure out what people are supposed to do. Setting the right goals, making sure a team knows them, making sure that the, that work is actually achieving the goals is, is so, so important. Yeah, it sounds basic, but it's often a thing that slips through. It's always basic. It's always basic. Every, there's nothing complicated ever at yeah. that level. It's True. just humans. Yep. They get excited by really shiny stuff. I do. To this day. I'm still excited yeah. by shiny yeah. stuff. <laughs> well, on that bright note... <laughs> This has been a great conversation, Josh. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. That was great. Paul, I I wish I had a dashboard that just gave me a real-time understanding of our relationship. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) I think for both of us, it just veers between, like, very steady state, tremendously loving, and then there are these Mount Everests of mutual annoyance. (laughs) Um, anyway, uh, yeah, the the dashboard of our relationship is something I never want to see. 
That's okay, what I would fair say. Enough. We should get back to work, but if people need us, hello at postlight.com. We are here to help. We like when people get in touch with the podcast because it allows us, it justifies us continuing to talk, talk to each to other you. while recording. Talk in your ear. Okay, okay thanks everybody. Have a great week. Hello at postlight.com. Bye.